Nobody has it all. No men have it all. No mothers have it all. No non-mothers have it all. <laughs> Ain't possible in this world. You're listening to What's it This Is Home. This Is Home. This Is Home, a podcast about families. We're going to be allowed to cry. Brought together through unlikely circumstances. We were lost. There was a few weeks where we didn't know where we would live. And the remarkable relationships they forge. I'm Erica Gerard, And I'm Emily Skihan. What does home mean to you? What does home mean to me? How's my jerk answer? A hammock? Your apartment in Los Feliz. Atwater, let's go. Oh, and Atwater, sorry. Home means safety. Home means comfort. What did the idea home mean to you? Home to me is a feeling of safety and comfort and connectedness a mental space and probably a physical space too that you can retreat to that will kind of be a soft place to land when anything goes wrong. This is Melissa. She's 41 and lives in Santa Inez, California. So forever, I always thought that I was going to have kids because that's just what everyone did. That's what everyone in my family did. And that's just what you do. Of course, you get married and you have children and you have family. And that's that. When Melissa met Alan, she fell for him immediately. Their meeting followed a path similar to many young women in their 20s and 30s. Lots of boyfriends, some crazy stories, some brutal disappointments, and mounting pressure from family and friends regarding when the one was going to show up for her. Melissa was craving a committed relationship, and she wanted to start a family. Fortunately, after a few months of dating, she and Alan were crazy in love. Until one day, they had a conversation that made her rethink the relationship entirely. We had this conversation one night, and I can't remember what sparked it, but it was very emotional for both of us. And he was terrified because he finally realized, like, this is something. This is an important relationship. We're probably going down the path of marriage. And he didn't know if he wanted kids. Melissa remembers putting in her dating profile that she wanted kids. She thinks Alan, at the very least, didn't make it clear that he didn't want kids. And he knew at that point that I was like, oh, of course. Of course we're going to have kids because that's what you do. So when he expressed that he didn't know if he wanted them, I was like, I was annoyed almost more than anything because I thought, oh, come on, we're like so blissful. Why are we even talking about this? Like, that's like years down the line. Like, I don't even want to worry about this. And like, why did you bring it up? I remember just being like, oh, can't we just keep going like we've been going? But he was very, like very much felt like we needed to come to some sort of resolution if we were going to continue on this path. I think he felt really vulnerable and was like more scared than I was. And so we didn't resolve it that night. And it continued to be a conversation for, I don't know, whatever it was, another like year and a half or however long past that. And it was a difficult conversation. Today on This Is Home, we're talking about the choice not to have kids. It's a decision that can sometimes be long and challenging for couples in a serious relationship. We wanted to explore with different couples on this episode what it's like to have this discussion. 
one that 30 years ago wasn't even really a question, much less a discussion. According to the National Center for Health Statistics, four decades ago, an American woman typically delivered her first baby at age 21. Today, she's 26 and a half. And almost exactly half of adult women 15 to 44 have never had kids, the highest percentage on record. More and more couples are choosing to have kids later, or not at all. This next couple, Sarah and her partner Paul, were on the same page about their desire not to have kids early on in the relationship. It is natural for me to not want to be a parent. And I've struggled with that early on where I was even told that it wasn't natural. I was told so much in my early 20s, like, you'll change your mind or you don't know yet, and really was kind of gaslighted about the whole thing. I don't accept that my path is to have children and that it is unnatural for me to not want that. And I feel really strongly about that. Like, it's, it's not a decision not to. It's, this is the way that I am. Sarah says she's always known, instinctively, that she wasn't meant to be a mom. I had a boyfriend and we were together for three years and maybe 25, 26. I knew at that point like what it was and that parenthood was not, a, not something that I wanted. And I remember having a conversation with him about it and like, oh, what if I get pregnant, you know, or I'd maybe missed a period and oh, uh -oh what, if, what if that's it? And I said, I had made a comment around like, I would get an abortion right away. And he said, well, we would talk about that. And I, that was the moment where I realized that I couldn't be with someone who would make me pause on that. Like, no, it's not a discussion. This is not what I want. Um, and when he said, oh, well, we would talk about that. Like, no, like, you would drive me to Planned Parenthood. <laughs> like, um, and I, I just remember it was just very clear, like, in that relationship that, like, no, like, from this point forward, I need to search for a partner who, who, who's on the same path with me and who values the same things and who is, I don't know, it's not a lifestyle. It's like, this is just the way it is. It's a way of being. It's a way of being. Sarah and Paul have been together for nine years, and neither of them envisioned marriage or children to be a part of their relationship. Paul says that his feelings about not wanting kids were present from a young age. I was naturally someone who did not want kids. Environmentally, there were a lot of things that happened that, that reinforced like, oh man, I don't want kids. Um, you know, it was a rough childhood and multiple homes and four stepbrothers. So it took a little bit of soul searching to separate that out because you're, you're thinking, oh, I wonder if a fucked up childhood is the reason why I have these feelings. And no, no, it's, it's not. That's the core of who I am, just like anything else, just like I have blue eyes. So it was really early, 16, 17. I just made this conscious choice, just like, just like anything that you'd make a choice, like a big life decision around. People put so many, like, they put their wishes on you all the time. They're like, oh, you'll go to college and you'll meet a nice boy. And it's amazing that the, sto the stories that people tell you of what they want to happen to you that have nothing to do with what you want. 
I picked that up because the stories were discontinuous with what I actually, like, truly in my gut wanted. So I remember having a conflict with that earlier. And with my family, with my direct family. Sarah explains that it's not that they never thought about it. They have. But it's not, you can't take parts of being a parent. You can't take parts of it and say, oh, I would love to see what that child looks like at three. And would they have the same tendencies as, you know, would they be as creative as Paul? And would they be as stubborn as me? Like, parenthood isn't something that you can, like, pick the best parts of and, like, make it happen. Like, I don't know. We, We have a really heavy consciousness about it. And what is it about parenthood that makes you say, no, that's not for me? I don't want to raise a child. I have no desire, you know, like I hear about these women who are like, you know, my, my uterus is thriving, you know, throbbing and I have to make a baby. You know, I take one from Amy Poehler, like good for you, not for me. Like I've never had that feeling. But for Dr. Jeannie Safer, psychotherapist and author of the book Beyond Motherhood, The decision not to have children came after years of profound and often painful soul-searching. Well, it was a personal decision that I struggled with enormously for about five years. So since I'm a psychotherapist, I did a little psychotherapy on myself. (laughs) In fact, I did five years' worth of it, and it was no easy decision. You know, there's some women who kind of know their whole lives it's not for them. But I was of the group of putter-offers. And, you know, I, I, and I found myself making excuses all the time. One of the questions Jeannie struggled with was the question of regret. She wondered if she would really be missing something down the road, something she couldn't tell in the present but would later regret. So she started writing about it. She wrote candidly about her anxiety and fears around the decision to remain childless. And she interviewed hundreds of other women about their decision as well. It's been over 20 years since Beyond Motherhood was first published. So naturally, I wanted to know if she had come to any new insights about her choice after all these years. I have not felt profound regrets. I'm, I'm very happy to say, and many of the women, I interviewed some older women at the time because this was my biggest question. Uh, will I feel regrets for other women? You know, and they hadn't felt enormous regrets either. I mean, you have certain regrets because it's realistic. There are things that I won't experience because I'm not a mother. But also, there are things that I experience that mothers will have a hard time experiencing. So there's no life without regrets. And I realized that I could embrace my own life wholeheartedly and that I had as much love and intimacy as anybody in the world that I could think of. And I was very grateful that I had made a conscious decision, you know, that I didn't just let it happen. Because when you make a conscious decision, you really work it through. One of the notions that Jeannie really had to work out for herself was the notion of shame before peers. That by not becoming a mother, it made her, in the eyes of others, somehow less than. That a real woman, says the culture, and says Freud, and says everything else, wants to be a mother, that motherhood is the fulfillment of one's femininity, the, the, really the deepest fulfillment. And I came to the conclusion that that is a biological experience, but psychologically, that wasn't the way that I could fulfill my role as a woman in the world. That, that we had more, there are more things that you can do as a woman that fulfill you than be a mother. And, and it's not for everybody. And why should it be? 
So, but I'm talking now 25 years later. When I was going through it, I did an enormous amount of crying. I was massively anxious. I thought, my God, I can never go back on this. The stigma around not having kids came up a lot in our conversations with the couples we spoke to. But where do these beliefs come from? And why does our society find the child-free choice so hard to accept? Another expert we spoke to says that it all boils down to an old and dominant underlying social force called pronatalism. So in, in a nutshell, pronatalism really is um, all about you know, exalting the role of parenthood. This is Laura Carroll, author of the book, The Baby Matrix. I found myself looking at beliefs we've had about parenthood and reproduction for generations, and, and the more I learned about it, found that they need to be challenged. One of the beliefs that Laura challenged in her book was the biological desire for children. One of the main things I learned is that there's really no research or evidence to support that, that we have this biological programming and it's for the desire to have children. And that is a deep pronatalist belief is that we, we all are wired to want kids. So the difference is we're all wired to reproduce, but we're not all wired to want them. <laughs> And I get a lot of pushback on that, but when I press and say, show me the evidence, and scholars agree with me, it's not there. It's based on a belief. And so I think when a lot of people realize that, it gives them a certain freedom to go, phew, now I can, now I can really decide for myself what feels right for me. Jason and Kevin have been married for two and a half years and together came to the decision about what was right for them. We both know that right now kids aren't really what we want. I think that the future can be different on that. We have two adorable cats um, and we live in a city. We have an awesome, awesome roommate and that's kind of our family for now and it's our family for the near future. And who knows what's gonna happen 10 years from now. We could not even be here anymore. We could move somewhere else. And when that happens, I think that's the time to reassess the family dynamic and what that looks like because it does change it does evolve and this is what we have now and i like it this whole concept of family when i moved out to san francisco there was a like a concept that i was taught and that's this concept of chosen family and that happens a lot i think in the gay community because so many of my friends have been ousted by theirs uh just for being gay uh they've moved here to experience chosen family. And I'm really thankful because San Francisco has given that to, to me, that concept. And now I feel like we all keep choosing rather than make the choice to, to make a family genetically, they make the choice to make a family out of love. Jason and Kevin are very enthusiastic about the idea of becoming uncles. We want to be the cool uncles. And when parenting becomes hard because their kids are going through maybe angsty teenage years, you know, it takes a village. Yeah, that's where we can step in and really help our families with their kids. 
So you're not stuck with never having the experience of family or of children necessarily, unless you choose. You know, some people say, you know, I just don't want to live in a world of children. I like the world of adults, and that's valid. But if you want to have children around you, there are millions of ways to do it. They're not second-rate ways. That's the important thing. Listening to Dr. Jeannie was a real eye-opener for me and the other producers of this podcast. She was so full of insight about a conversation all three of us have been contending with internally for quite some time. After hearing her speak out loud, our producer Christina and I sat down to share our candid responses to Dr. Safer with one another. Here's Christina and I sharing our reactions to Jeannie's thoughts on whether or not to become a mom. When did it actually start to be like, oh, I need to figure this out? Well, I think once being in a long-term relationship for um, almost two years now, I'm 37, Theo's 39, it's come up. And when we talk about our future or, you know, it's natural to talk about the future, we've talked about having kids a lot. And we both have primarily been on the same page about it in terms of our uncertainty. Okay. It was always, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't really know if I want kids. But he would always err on the side of, well, I feel like we should, you know, which wasn't ever a very satisfying answer for me. And I think I really came to a place with it after wrestling with it for a while and and working on this episode and talking to these experts that I thought, well, no, I, I know that I want to say, no, it's not for me, but I've been looking for some sort of permission to be okay with that decision because Mm. it it did come with a lot of, it comes with a certain amount of shame or, or really more for me, just questions of regret. Just, Mm -hmm. will I regret this decision? Is this, Am I going to be missing something? And she really addressed all those for me. So what was behind Theo's should? We should do this. Do you know? Well, I think it's probably the conditioning that all of us have felt in one way or another. That that this is just something that you do. That, like, nobody really wants to have kids, but you do it because... Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. It's interesting because for me, I do think it was the opposite. Like it's it's been a different conversation certainly in the past five years because shit gets real after you turn, you know, 33, 34, whatever. But particularly when I was not in a relationship with Ariel, my now husband, I always assumed I wouldn't have kids. I think because it was just easier. It's like, oh, because then I don't have to really think about anything, that I don't have to make any hard choices. And I know what that's like. There was just a familiarity with having my own life and, you know, being able to work however much I wanted, being able to travel when I wanted, and not really having to make things complicated. And I think part of what makes the decision tough is that it's really complicated (laughs) and so you're inviting all of these complications into your life of wow when like when this wasn't a priority for me my life was definitely easier like it was definitely like 
it felt that way anyway. I don't know if if this hit you the same way, but I I really appreciate her emphasis on being deliberate with the decision of really thinking through it and processing it. That's why I was asking you, like, if you've reached this decision, have you gone through a process? Like the way she talks about it, it was a five years of really thinking and meditating on this decision. And that I think, um, once you've, once you've allowed yourself to do that or allowed yourself to mourn or whatever, whatever that process is for you, that you can then feel confident that whatever answer you've reached to have confidence in that answer, that I really appreciate. I like that a lot. Is it weird that I don't feel like I need to mourn? I don't. Well, do you feel like that's a final answer? Do you feel like you might need to at some point? No, I don't. I mean, in terms of having a child biologically, I feel okay with that decision. I don't feel like I need to grieve for that. So is your decision just to not have kids biologically or not not have kids? Definitely not biologically. I'm leaving the door open to... Other options. Other options. So, but not anytime soon. soon. And was that part of your conversation with your partner that you're going to leave the door open for other options? Well, (laughs) (laughs) no. I mean, I think we're you know baby steps. We're taking it one thing one day at a time. We've we've knocked something off the list, and you know we'll. That's fair. We'll uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And now back to our opening story with Melissa, as she and Alan try and figure out what happens in their relationship, whether they should have kids. Remember, Alan made it clear that he wasn't sure being a dad was something he saw in his future, and Melissa had always assumed that she would have kids. Here's Melissa. I think I felt like, oh, we'll figure it out down the line. He'll change his mind or, I mean, at that point, it wasn't like I was going to be the one to change my mind. It was good that he was going to, you know, come around because he was so in love with me that, of course, he'd want to get me pregnant. It it just, it kind of continued to be a weirdly a dead issue where it was like neither of us really wanted to talk about it, yet it would like still keep coming up, you know, like the elephant in the room. Like, no, let's just shove that aside. But it was like, this is a pretty important thing that we need to get our arms around. I think there was fear of losing losing the relationship if he didn't try to come around on the topic. And I think there was a genuine like, well, I don't know, maybe in three or five years or whatever, I'll have some weird epiphany and change my mind. I got to a point, it's funny because I, in some aspects, I was in the same place as him where I was like, I don't want kids right now, but like, of course, I know I'm going to want them in like whatever that magic number three to five years is. The conversations with Alan continued. And at the same time, Melissa was getting pressure from her family, who she's very close with. But there was also this baby fever amongst my family members that put pressure on me that then I transferred that pressure onto Alan. So the process was kind of, I hit a point where I was like, I can't take this pressure anymore. He can't take this pressure anymore. So I went back to them and I was like, everybody needs to chill out. Like, let's lay off that topic. 
It's not relevant right now. The baby stuff is a dead issue. This was like in the thick of, hey, we know this relationship's going somewhere. And he had kind of read some books on making the decision about parenting. And then I read the same books. One, I, one of them was like, <laughs> I think it was called Child Free and Loving It. And when I read that, I was like, huh, this is interesting. Because I hadn't really thought about that was an option, I guess. And again, there were some painful conversations and it just, it just felt so heavy. And that heaviness was really getting to Melissa. She felt like she needed to make a decision either way. Take some action. The huge turning point was me kind of turning that off too. Me making a decision like, I'm going to focus just on the two of us for right now and on our relationship together. And I'm going to stop putting any pressure on him to make a decision about this or to get married or whatever it is. Like, because it felt icky. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to just enjoy you and be with you. The key for Alan and Melissa was making a concerted effort to focus on their own priorities and block out the voices of others. So a couple months after that Thanksgiving, we went for a run on the beach and I think he stopped to tie his shoe. And I thought, is he gonna propose? Cause he got down on one knee. And of course he didn't propose. And so then I thought that was really sad because he should have proposed, but also funny. And so that night, so my dad and I are in the kitchen. I start telling him the story about the walk on the beach and how I think that Alan's going to propose and he's tying his shoe. And my dad laughed and kind of out of the blue, he said, you know, it's okay if you don't have kids. And it was like a lightning bolt struck me. Like what? <laughs> what? It's okay if I don't have kids. And it was so, again, that heaviness that was like, just, lifted all of it away that someone had given me permission someone from the family that had been pressuring me had given me permission to do something different and to not go down this path that everyone is supposed to go down it was like oh wow like blew me away um and that was that was kind of the turning point because it felt everything in me wanted to rush toward this relationship that was so amazing and the biggest thing holding me back was like, no, you can't have that family that you're supposed to have. And so for somebody to say, it's okay if you want to go and be in love with this guy and do that. And it doesn't matter if you have a family or not was like completely transformative. That transformation allowed Melissa to reconsider the possibilities for what her family could look like. When I would daydream about my future, it fit into this box because that's totally what I saw around me in my family and in society, but more so in, you know, my family that I had grown up in. And it just, it like didn't even occur to me to imagine something different than that. I mean, I grew up in a bubble, so I think this falls into that same category of like just naivety, I guess. And yeah, not knowing that that was an option or that it existed or that it could look like a totally fulfilling life without kids. Melissa came to a place of acceptance and even happiness with her choice not to have kids. And she and Alan have now been happily married for six years. But it didn't mean that she stopped thinking about it entirely. I wouldn't say regret. I had a weird, I don't even know what to call it, because I don't know that it was a longing. It was just a weird sort of thought period. And I think it's probably common right after we got married 
and like the excitement of planning the wedding and doing all of that and going on the honeymoon died down, I felt this like, what's next feeling. That's an uncomfortable feeling of like, oh, the next thing I'm supposed to do is have kids. Like that's the next step in this progression. And I, I remember feeling that like, oh, do, like, do I want a baby now? And kind of like, I, I mean, I love babies. I totally love babies. So there was that a little bit of that draw. Melissa has six nieces. And like many of the couples we spoke to, she assumes a lot of responsibility in being an aunt to them. It's cool because I feel like I've gotten to experience aspects of parenting and I, and, and I love that. But I, again, I love that I can walk away from it too. It's this weird, nice balance. Elizabeth Gilbert writes about this in her book, Committed. And she talks about the anti-brigade and how necessary aunties are in the world. My nieces, I don't think that I would be able to be the aunt that I am to them if I had my own children. Because your, your focus is on your own kids. When you have kids, your focus is on them. And Do you think only... you're a better aunt because you don't have your own kids? Yes, although family members may disagree with that since I just paid for my 18-year-old niece to get her nose pierced. <laughs> Not sure that makes me a better aunt, but I think it does. But Melissa felt purpose, love, and connection in her life. And since the decision not to have kids, she also felt a lot of validation that it was the right decision for her. Many couples have difficulty, if they're not parents, to realize that they are a family in their own right, together, without a child. Right, even if it's a two-person family, that they are Absolutely. still a family. That you are not an inferior citizen or, you know, unable to love fully if, you know, if the love of your life and the involvement of your life is with your mate. I think that's really important. But, but the struggles, you know, where people have mixed feelings about this, it is no easy thing. And what I suggest that people do is they write down for themselves what they think about parenthood, um, the good reasons to have a child, the not good reasons to have a child, the good reasons to, to, you know, to not have one, and really think about all the possibilities and what they imagine their life together would be if they didn't do it. Wherever you come down, the notion, be comforted by the fact that thinking it through is what really counts. It'll make all the difference. I promise you. Right. I, I could speak with the voice of absolute authority on this. <laughs> Thank you to all of our couples who shared their stories with us today. You can find links to the books we mentioned in this episode on our website, thisishomepodcast.org. And while you're there, if you liked what you heard on the show today, please consider making a donation in any amount by clicking on the Donate tab. Anything you can give goes directly towards our production costs and would help us out a great deal. And if you haven't had a chance, make sure you subscribe to us in iTunes and leave us a review. This is Home is Erica Gerard, Emily Skihan, and Christina Lindstrom. Our sound engineer is Juan Diego Borda at Harmonix Studios. Music by John Maness. Logo and site design, Lane Carlsness at Broadsheet Design. Again, thanks for listening. See you next time.